Welcome back to the Unmasked Podcast. That was so good. My name is Stuart. <laughs> this is The Ultimate by Stan Bush. It's so emotional. It is so emotional. Are we feeling it, guys? Oh, that's got me up. I, I kind of am feeling yeah, that. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? Oh, the, oh hang <laughs> not, not a fan of the singing, but that's okay. We'll fade that one down. Fade her out. Once again, I am Stuart on Mars Podcast. This is your weekly podcast for daily wellbeing. I'm here with my friends Jason Lee. How are we? Hey, Stewie. Good to have you back. It's, hey, good to be back. Great episode last time with Steph on uh, eating disorders. I just saw I'd thrown. I started following Stan Bush on Instagram. Yeah, he's got like forty followers. Yeah, I sent him a DM. Did you get a follow yeah. back? No, I sent him. I sent no, him. I did not. I sent him a DM saying we've got this podcast. We play your songs he every week. Care. He doesn't care. Out of forty people. You, He's about 60. Yeah. So. yeah, that's right. Hey, look, we, we digress, but we have a very special guest. Actually, the first uh, second time guest we have on the podcast, and we have Peter Mr. Fender. Fergus McFarlane, clinical psychologist. Woo! How are we, Ferg? I'm really great. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it is. You're almost abs- a regular. It is almost a regular. I don't mind a bit of a regularity every yeah. now and then. Um, how are we, Ferg? Yeah, really good. <laughs> yeah. Enjoying the warmer weather. It's coming into spring. Yep. It's a good time. Yep. That's right. Yeah. You know, you were here with us last time talking about depression and anxiety. I think maybe our most listened to episode. I think we're on about seven for that one. Definitely. Sorry. Yeah, Yeah. seven (laughs) listens. So six of them were Ferg. Um, (laughs) He's going to start asking for royalties soon, guys. Yeah, actually, that's why we've got you here today. Well, well, if Stan Bush isn't asking for royalties, then actually, in fairness, we are pumping up Stan Bush's numbers. He just doesn't know. He just doesn't know. I might send a shout out to uh, Samuel Ryken. He he let me know that he listened to it. Well, then. And he he came up to me and was like, oh, Ferg, I really enjoyed listening to the uh, the last podcast about depression. Depression. Oh. So shout out to Sam Riken. Oh, Sam Riken, big powerful last name. Yeah, big here. powerful uh, last name. <laughs> big powerful man as well. Yeah. He he is. Uh, He's definitely been hitting the bench, hasn't oh he? Oh my Has goodness he? gracious, mate! He's getting married in a couple of weeks, and yeah. um, he is. he's he's. What is it? The wedge shred? Yep. Or whatever it is. And I'm like, mate, you are setting the expectations incorrectly. Like, you need to go. You need to go in sloppy, and then. Go are you planning on having another wedding? That you? No. What are you? <laughs> anyway, this is he's relevant. This conversation as we are talking yeah. about ADHD. Yeah. And so yes. that was an example. Record timing of being off track. A hundred percent. Yes. No. <laughs> as as Jason alluded to in, in a subtle way, we are we we. Um, like to explore different areas of mental health and mental health issues, neurodiversity and stuff. Um, and one thing which is relevant to us, I won't lie, to me and Jace particularly, but also to many young people is ADHD. And a super, a lot of misconceptions about ADHD. And we thought, what better way to explore ADHD? What it is, what it isn't, how to work with people who have it, how to work with it when we do have it ourselves medication, all these kind of different things, and bring in the expert. The expert. Yeah. Mm. The man. <laughs> the The myth, the legend, Ferg Mr. Ferg McFarlane. What did you call him last time, like, by accident? I don't know. What you, did I call you him? You said Freudian slip. It was Ferg something. Oh, Ferg McGinley. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, a personal joke that no one else will get. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so yeah, correct. Ferg, ADHD, what is it? All right, so ADHD, really important topic. It's a... Uh, psychiatric disorder. It's yeah. a really important thing to understand. Uh, there's two things you really want to look out for when we're talking about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD. We're looking for poor focus. This is something that we, sometimes we all struggle with. Mm-hmm. Poor focus and poor impulse control. They're the two 
the two key parts that we're looking for for yep. someone who's struggling with ADHD. And as I say, this is a topic that we've all got something to learn. Uh, this is relevant for all of us because focus in 2022 is really, really hard yeah. in our distractible world. But we're talking about when focus and impulse control have reached a level that is clinically significant. Okay. Yep. That's a that's a summary of uh, uh, what ADHD is and what to look out for. Can yeah, I, yeah okay. Can I ask, uh, is ADHD and ADD the same thing? Have we just changed the name? We've just added an extra, we expanded the acronym? Yeah, really great question. So we haven't uh, used the uh, term ADD since the 80s. We've That's now, why I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> and we've, we transitioned through to ADHD. Yeah. I'm going to stick with ADD. Yeah. <laughs> and that's purely because they uh, are refining the elements that we look for for when we're diagnosing AD, uh, ADHD, and that includes this hyperactivity element. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So you say it is. So it is an att- you know poor focus, poor impulse control. Having working working with teenagers a lot, I would suggest a lot of teenagers, particularly you know 13, 14 year old boys, but you know, but a lot of have poor focus and poor impulse control. So what actually differentiates them from, you know, someone who, you know, someone who without ADHD and someone who does have it? Yeah, really good question. Oh, uh, isn't something that's worth noting as well when we're talking about a particular issue, it's sometimes helpful just to talk about prevalence. Okay. And prevalence means how common this issue is mm. in our community. The surveys suggest that this uh, this issue affects boys more than girls. Okay. So Roughly speaking, from uh, surveys over the last 10 years or so from Australian sources suggest that it impacts about 11% of boys, uh, 8% of children overall, uh, about 1 in 20, uh, some studies suggest. In America, it's even higher, 1 in 10, as some some studies suggest. But good to get an idea about just how many people it impacts. So then, how do we tell the difference between the things that a lot of uh, boys uh, and and girls experience, which is difficulty concentrating, difficulty focusing, or experiencing poor impulse control, so being very impulsive. What do we? How do we separate your ordinary everyday young person from someone who's suffering from this issue? Mm. There's a few key questions that someone who's going through the process of diagnosing. ADHD needs to ask. I'll tell you what those key questions are. Yeah. I was going to say, could we do a clinical trial with these two? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Talk away with a diagnosis. She's taking notes. On <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. Now, Here we go. Bear in, subject subject bear number one. <laughs> bear, bear very well in mind as I go through these uh, these diagnostic criteria, these things that we look for. Be very careful as if you're listening along not to get too alarmed if you feel like these are resonating with you Mm. really, really strongly because diagnosing ADHD is a complex process that involves often multiple practitioners, information from parents, teachers and the child. I don't want you to feel too concerned. Diagnosing this is a complex and in-depth process that should be done by a psychiatrist, a paediatrician, or an experienced clinical psychologist. Okay. Okay. So, do you start these um, analysis with Stan Bush? Is that <laughs> sorry? Uh, so, Stu's got a tick. That's the first t- question. Are you? I was going to say tick. 
Number one What student. music are you yes. listening to? Stan Bush. Yeah. Tick. Shocking. Shocking. Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're absolutely shocking. So Stu's a yes. Stu's a yes. Yep. And how about James? Back to the clinical psychologist. Uh, <laughs> I've got my So um, what are the questions that we're asking if we're trying to identify if someone has ADHD? So one, does the person present with ongoing signs of inattention, hyperactivity or impulsivity? Okay. So... Some examples of what inattention, hyperactivity or impulsivity might look like mm. for uh, your average uh, student who's going through high school might be really struggling to pay attention at school, yep. finding it incredibly difficult to sit still, being extremely fidgety, difficulty following the regular flow of conversation, so jumping in at inappropriate uh, social times. Uh, in terms of hyperactivity, it's... Uh, a child who is uh, incredible uh, finds it incredibly difficult to, uh, to stop this inner sense of in very high levels of energy. Yeah, very very high levels of energy. Sometimes when you uh, when you see it, you can start to recognise it. You go, okay, that's uh, that's disproportionately more than my the average teenager that I'm yep. experiencing. Okay. Um, impulsivity is that difficulty to in uh, internally monitor your own actions, uh, and that can uh, take a number of different forms. So there's the first question. So we've got to identify I, those three things. I watched a uh, video that I'll put a link in. I've forgotten who it's by, but I'll put a link in the show description. I talked about ADHD. Um, and the way that they describe that impulsivity is that as uh, humans by very nature, kind of what separates us from animals, I suppose, is that we have the ability. So an event happens that we stop and think and then we react to that with uh, consciousness of future future outcomes. So, you know... Um, Sounds smart. Yeah, that's right, exactly. I came up with it myself. Yeah, <laughs> so, and then basically what ADHD is, is that that, that ability to um, regulate that, that time between when we think about the reactions is gone or is, is vastly reduced or whatever it is so mm-hmm. that we're not able to actually consider future outcomes for um, in terms of like our immediate response. Yes. So, yeah. That's a really good description. I really mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yes, it's an inability to think through the consequences yeah. of a particular course of behaviour. Yeah, that's right. Really good. Yeah, Jason, something like hiding a meat cleaver under your friend's pillow. You know what? Jason <laughs> and I, we are not looking at, we're not looking at each other at the what? moment because we're going to have a laughing fit because <laughs> if Jace had a bio, this is... Uh, this is my life motto everything Ferg was saying I had flashes of Jace on rollerblades in the house dressed as Hulk Hogan and I was like yep that's that and that's that I'm I'm appropriate in conversation I'm a good listener I'm a good listener you are a very good listener you are a fantastic listener absolutely and sometimes do you talk a lot to me you're my wife. I'm trying to build relationships. And I love that. communication. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry. We're back back with that. No, no, back with these questions. I'm and, loving this. This is yeah. great. Second question: Do uh, do those symptoms of inattention, hyperactivity, or impulsivity significantly and negatively impact on day to day functioning? Okay. So it's not occasional. It's day to day. So when you say impacting day to day, what does that what does that actually mean? The sort of things that we talked about just before. Uh, often finding the school day incredibly challenging, finding home life incredibly difficult in terms of uh, sleeping routines, homework routines, uh, fitting into the flow of family life, that sort of thing. Mm. Thirdly, uh, were the symptoms present before age 12? Interesting. Really key. So there are uh, some age criteria that we need to think about. Fourthly, 
do these symptoms occur in different settings, i.e. home and school? So sometimes a parent might say that a child might be experiencing some uh, some of those symptoms at home, but if we need to ask whether they're happening at school as well. Yeah. So can I can I circle back to the 12 things? So yeah, of course. So were the, the symptoms there before 12? So you're saying that if they were there before 12, then that is a sign of ADHD? Yes. And why is that? And it's a necessary component. Why? Why? Uh, I'll circle – I can circle back to that. We need to think about okay, the, sure. yep. uh, what's happening in our brains okay. to answer yeah. that question. Great. Uh, and then fifthly, could this be – um, better explained by something else. Okay, sure. So really important to exclude things like anxiety and depression. Really important to exclude uh, any number of different things that could be creating uh, this inattention, this hyperactivity or this impulsivity. Yeah, that's so great. They're, the, they're yeah. the questions that uh, a diagnostician would work through. And it's interesting the, if it affects everyday life. I know we're joking about Stu and Jace having some tendencies, but I think even for us looking into it, like – I learned over the years with Jace communicating that it actually it's not something like the frust it's frustrating. It's not like I like that and I'm lazy and I don't want to do it. It's like like when our son was little, Jace, I said, Can you, you know, can you change Sammy's nappy? Yeah, yeah, totally. Came out with the top hat on and a and a coat a cape and Sam came out with a poo. And I said, Uh um, what happened in the room? And he's like, I don't know why I went in there. And so it, but it's it, my sense of adventure that we're talking about. <laughs> it's not any diagnosis. No, what I'm saying is, <laughs> it's important for us to be aware of how it's impacting people yeah, who yeah. experience it because it can be frustrating for other people, but it's frustrating for people who are obviously going through it. They don't want to be like that, and it must be, you know, so hard to not be able to have that thought follow through. Or you know, it sounds. Mm. We'll be trying to complex. study, knowing yeah. you've got to get some work done, but you've you've bounced yeah. around the room. Yeah, You're totally. Now. Yeah. And interestingly, yeah. it's... They're probably getting told off for, for yeah. distracting everyone Absolutely. else. Absolutely. I've, I've, I've noticed uh, in recent times, so we're getting a little distracted, ironically, um, <laughs> that <laughs> at a lot more adults are being diagnosed with sort of adult ADHD. And because it is, I guess, traditionally thought of as, oh, this is this thing that kids go through and mm. maybe they'll grow out of it. And sometimes they maybe they do. We'll talk, we'll talk about that later on. But there was, uh, once again, another video by, I think her name, M... M- uh, Razamano or that girl who was on one of those yeah that one yeah where she talked about how she was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult and for her it was actually like this massive I mean it was this you know really hard time but it was actually a bit of a sense of relief because it explained so mm. much mm. her neurodiversity explained so much of her actions and how she was whatever and then you know was able to get some treatment and medication mm. to really help those things you know it's all yeah anyway well, I'm sort of getting distracted but but like um Talking about that adult ADHD diagnosis mm. actually explains and actually helps Absolutely. to cope and deal with that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And people can really find it almost comforting to assign, I, I don't want to say a label, just because there is a bit of a discussion about whether labels are helpful or not. Mm. Um, but being able to identify a problem is deeply, deeply helpful. Yeah. Mm. Be able to say, oh, wow, that really, really explains the issues that I'm experiencing. Yeah. Very comforting. Yep. Well, the, if the counter is I'm a bad person or I'm not good enough or there's something wrong with me or other people saying you just don't care or mm. you aren't interested or you're yeah. just a bad person because of your behaviour. Yeah, so yeah. To, to know. It's huge. And this is, this is, totally. this is like, this is obviously stretches over things like depression and anxiety as well to mm. be able to explain these things and actually get the right treatment for these diagnoses which are real and relevant and play and, and affect day-to-day life. 
Mm. Sorry, we, when, yeah. yeah. Well, so like, yeah, well, uh, I guess we're we leaning into, uh, I guess, anxiety and depression conversation is really helpful. You've been talking about what's going on in the brain. Would that be the best next thing for yeah, us? Yeah, let's to do it. Let's talk about what happens in the brain because fundamentally ADHD um, has its roots in the mechanisms of how our brains work. Okay. So we're going to use a bit of jargon here. So you don't have to remember all of these terms. This is above and beyond what I expect people to take away from this chat that we're having today. Um, this is uh, helpful background information uh, to understand what's going on inside your brain. Good. So what I want you to think about is a seesaw. So, Got it. Done. That's the metaphor that I'm going to return to to help explain what's going on within our, um, our brain anatomy in terms of ADHD. There are two key architectural components within our brain that communicate with each other. There are, there are multiple parts of our brain, sure. but in terms of ADHD, there's two key things. The first is the default mode network. Now, the default mode network is what helps us to regulate something called wakeful rest. So uh, our default mode network often uh, activates when we've got an opportunity to take a quiet moment. Sometimes when I'm uh, going for a long walk, I can experience a, a, an increased sense of inspirational creativity. That's your default, default mode network at work. Okay. It doesn't work when we've got lots of distractions coming in. If you want this specific brain region, you want the dorsal lateral prefrontal network. So on the, at the front of your brain to the right-hand side, what we've got up there is uh, the clusters of neurons that make up the default mode network. This is very similar to what we talked about in our social media That's episode right, yeah. about boredom. And that, that, that and, and you know, there's um, spoken about uh, Johan Hari talks about the zone. Yes. You know what I mean when you when you when you're actually in that and you are sense of creativity yeah. and you know when you're in it. You know what yeah. I mean. Shower like, thoughts when you're at, yeah when you're yeah yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, we didn't have the right words for it because we're not smart enough. Default no. mode network. Can we, can we go back and just yeah, like, cut and paste that in? Just Ferg's voice. We sure can. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in the context of when that flow state activates. Um, whether it's in the shower, whether it's going for a long walk, uh, that w sense of wakeful rest. Okay, so there's one half of the seesaw. The other half is something called the task networks. Now, uh, the specific name for this particular cluster of neurons, this brain region, is the medial prefrontal cortex. So slightly different cluster of neurons, slightly different brain region. Now, this is goal-oriented. This is all about choosing what we want to give our attention to. It's often... Uh, this particular cluster of neurons is really used for some suppressing impulses. Okay. So this is the break. It's helping us to regulate what we choose to do. It's telling. It's telling. Helping us to say no to things. So you can see how this is related yes. to what we've been talking about. So two parts of the seesaw. We've got the default mode network and the task networks. Wakeful rest versus goal orientated thinking. Yep. So. These two things oscillate like a seesaw in a brain that's regularly working. Okay. Now, uh, so as one goes up, the other goes down, and the, uh, the, the mechanism by which that occurs is through dopamine. Dopamine is like the composer conducting yep. how those two sides of the seesaw oscillate. That is to say, change. So when one goes up, the other goes down. When one goes up, the other goes down. Because we can't 
experience that wakeful rest when we're focusing. Often when we're going for the long walk, we're not particularly focusing at all. We're having that quiet time just to let our let our thoughts go through our mind. Um, whereas when we're sitting down to do our homework, task network is in full effect. It's about, all right, here's question one on the maths, uh, the maths homework, here's question two, here's question three. So there's the seesaw. In ADHD, the two sides of the seesaw don't work in balance. What happens is you've got jumping, two people jumping on the one side of the seesaw. Yep. The composer is not there. The, um, uh, the default mode network and the task network aren't working together properly. Right. And so that creates, um, uh, instead of that appropriate balance so that we can pay attention to things when we need to and have that wakeful rest when we need it, doesn't work properly. Right. That's what ADHD is. Right. And, and is it tilted heavily to one side? Like is it just always the default mode network that's mostly prominent or is it the other one that's mostly or, – or are they just kind of like inappropriately – well, let's, let's paint a picture. You've got a student who's um, seriously struggling to focus in class. So uh, the typical scene might be uh, daydreaming out the window, fidgeting. What we've got going on there is the seesaw is uh, firmly planted down on the default mode network. So focus is not possible. Okay. It is mechanically difficult. Yeah. So the dopamine, which is a... Um, neurochemical which helps to pass information between our neurons isn't functioning properly. So what do we do to help ADHD? Mm. Fundamentally, this is a, a psychiatric issue and in order to um, change the issue that's occurring in our brain, medication is necessary. Okay. okay. So uh, basically, uh, you might have heard of medications like Ritalin or Adderall now, these are essentially prescription stimulants and they chemically induce a state of focus. So uh, it increases the likelihood that that dopamine composer is going to do its job. Yeah, right. And over time, as someone takes those particular medications, neuroplasticity kicks in, which is the brain's tendency to be able to change and adapt to situations which, when we're younger, appears to be in a state of change as our brains grow and develop. It... Uh, it increases the likelihood of being able to train a young person's brain to learn what focus is and build that muscle, if you want to use that yeah, analogy. Right. Okay. So the uh, chemically induced state of focus, eventually the brain goes, ah, this is what focus is. I'm going to now adhere to that. Yep. And the good news is many achieve great results. So That's does that amazing. mean they don't necessarily have to stay on that medication long term if it if the neuroplasticity kicks in, or is that still going to be necessary? Really good question. I actually don't have a good answer to that one. Okay. Uh, I'd have to come back to you on that one. Yeah. Because obviously that's, that's often a concern, particularly for parents or for a lot of us. Like these medications, we don't understand them. Okay, um, you know, if it's like, is this for life or is this for and and that mm. maybe is a a roadblock to even looking just, into yeah. this. But knowing that this is Something's happening within the brain. So you're saying is it, a, is it a structural issue or a wiring issue? Like, it's a um, it's a combination of lots of things. Like most things are in uh, psychology or in medicine. There's a there's lots of contributing factors. One of them is, is our genetics. So if we have a parent who experiences ADHD, we're quite likely to experience that ourselves. Yep. Just because from a neuroanatomical perspective, um, that 
uh, dopamine not playing the role of the composer issue mm. still is the case. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's a whole host of different reasons that might. The I mean, look, I'm not, I'm just going to qualify this by saying heard this off a YouTube video, and so this is not medical advice or anything. But the video that I was talking about previously, <clears throat> the guy said basically said the same thing. Like you are it, you are not able to recover or you know function properly with ADHD without medication. But that's because it gives you the opportunity to build those impulse controls and that yeah, that muscular stuff so that you are able to eventually go off. Once again, qualify that with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not right. a medical but professional. There, there yeah. is a stigma around medication that it just makes you docile. Yes. That's kind of the narrative around it is that well, everyone out. these days has it and all it does is yeah. drug you out. Yeah. Can we? I want to I go back to medication in a second if that's okay. Yeah, totally. You, there, obviously, this is a, an audio um, mean every time – so brings up uh, the dopamine conductor. He conducts. It's fantastic. No, it's anyway, so good. <laughs> so good. Is that, is that all? No, 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 no. I'm going to trace because you talked about dopamine. Now we've we've yeah. spoken about dopamine quite a bit recently, and mm. I've I've not actually heard that talk uh, spoken about in that context. Mm. And you know that dopamine is the is the pleasure release, and particularly when we're talking about we were talking about that once again the social media episode and the phones episode is that there is dopamine hits and. You know, we talked about the studies of um, the you know the pigeon who was um, yes. eating, eating food and whatnot, and, and skin as pigeons, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so, it's, can you explain? I don't know what the link is there and how why that is the conductor and yeah, yeah. Um, what it has to do with pleasure and focus and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. the movie Inside Out again. Can we? Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's Let's right. circle all the way back to Inside <laughs> Out somehow. Yeah. Um, uh, dopamine. Uh, dopamine is all about motivation. It drives us to achieve the thing that we're that we want to. Uh, that's going to give us some benefit or release. And so, people often talk about it as being associated with feelings of uh, great, uh, great highs or joy or pleasure or those sorts of things. Um, uh, from what I understand, dopamine is core to driving our behaviour towards or achieving that outcome behaviourally. Right. If you want to learn more about dopamine. Um, there's a fantastic book by Anna Lemke called Dopamine Nation, uh, and that's fantastic for topics like addiction, uh, because being our, uh, we live in a dopamine saturated, or rather a dopamine inducing context and world around us. There's yeah. lots of things that are distracting us, and to, uh, uh, if I was to sum up dopamine, I would I would I would definitely encourage you to go away and read um, Dopamine Nation, but know that dopamine's all about. Um, helping us to driving us to do the things that we think are going to give us good benefits. Great, and then that dopamine helps to regulate the default mode mode network and the task networks. Absolutely. And is it a deficiency of dopamine? Is it too much dopamine? Is it just dopamine which is ineffective? Is it something else? Am I missing the point here? No, or? no. Because um, uh, the reason, so the reason I ask this as well is because how much of this is interlocked with you know society's issues with phones and these small dopamine hits that are you know causing us to be so distracted and whatnot and how do we then differentiate that you know someone ADHD someone who's just phone obsessed or whatever yeah absolutely um you're right our context today is making it harder and harder to achieve focus if I'm right the uh, medications that are prescribed for uh, various psychiatric um, disorders actually don't contain dopamine that is to say they don't provide you with a surplus of dopamine okay. but rather they create a more six uh, a more uh, a more uh, positive environment for that composer for that neurotransmitter to successfully flow from one neuron to the next okay 
if someone's depressed, for example, it's less likely that serotonin is going to pass from one neuron to the next. Right. But we can make it more likely for that neurochemical to do its job and uh, we can do that by uh, making a more habitable environment for those neurochemicals to pass from one neuron to the next. I mean, I, I, I just get caught up in the actual, like, oh, there's a seesaw in my head. Fantastic. Yeah. All right, so yeah. how does that apply? I'm seeing Bugs Bunny as a composer. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Bugs Bunny, the dopamine. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. That's, a, that's an incredible explanation and one that's not only confused me but cleared things up a little bit for <laughs> me in some, some regards as well. Yeah. Um, so what do we do about it? Okay. So as parents, as teachers, but also as students who might be with, suffering with this or work you know, alongside someone, what are some of the things that we can do maybe to manage? Let's, let's go with if we feel like we might have that ourselves, all right? First, first, first steps. First steps. So how do we manage this? The, if you're a high school student or if you're a parent and you're concerned as a student or as a parent for someone who uh, you think might have ADHD, um, the first thing to do is go and see your family GP. Uh, go and make an appointment to say, look, I think I might be experiencing these particular symptoms and they will go through the process of begin uh, beginning um, identify whether this is the case. So they'll go through those five questions with you um, that we mentioned at the top of the show. They will most likely give you a referral to someone like a psychiatrist, a paediatrician or an experienced clinical psychologist to go through a formal diagnostic process. Okay. That'll usually look like a at least a couple of appointments. First appointment will be to, over the course of maybe an hour to an hour and a half, depends on each practitioner, they will go through a, a in-depth process of screening for each of those issues. They'll take a, comp, a, a detailed history. They will um, often ask you to complete a number of questionnaires that help to drill down onto each of those diagnostic questions. Okay. And then the practitioner will usually go away and write up a report and then uh, you might come back a week or two later and the practitioner will explain the report to you and go through the process of saying, look, uh, uh, do you meet uh, question number one? Yes or no. Do you meet question number two? Yes or no. Sure. Question three? Yes or no. And so at the end of that process, they'll be able to say, um, uh, yes, uh, we've gone through all of the diagnostic questions. We've asked uh, the question. We've got some collateral information from uh, your school teacher or from uh, your parents. Um, and yes, uh, you have met the diagnostic criteria, and indeed you do have ADHD. There are some. Uh, what would, uh, what it would be helpful is to uh, then prescribe a course of medication and participate in some uh, behavioural interventions to help you to. Uh, increase that focus and uh, ability to build routine in everyday life. Okay, great. That sounds great. So, so you're saying so? Yeah, obviously there's a chemical side, and then there's a behavioural side that probably maybe someone like yourself is trained in or aware Absolutely. of. Absolutely. I imagine we could all benefit from that, regardless of diagnosis. Could you give us? Some yeah, yeah. Life and hacks, and tricks. Yeah, and yeah let's tips? do it. Um, there's so much to be learnt for all of us because we all struggle with focus. We live in a distractible world, yeah. and so. This, this is the part of the discussion that I was most looking forward to because it applies to um, all of us. Unfortunately, so we're running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> and say, what, uh, how do we improve our focus? For people uh, going through school, first step is to dis- decrease distraction. So how do we decrease distraction? We've got to f- identify what are the distracting things. Now, we've all got one of the distracting things sitting in front of us. 
um, around this uh, table as we're all sitting here today, and that's our phone. Mine's in my pocket. I just had a flashback to when Jace lost his attention deficit book. <laughs> uh, I was reading a book called Driven to Distraction, and, and, and it said you probably won't finish reading this book, but just pick. And I was like, No, I'm gonna, f- I'm gonna start yeah. to finish. You're not gonna, <laughs> you're not getting me. I'm gonna start to finish. I don't know where the book's gone. <laughs> <I can't. laughs> like, oh, I didn't finish it. Good intentions. <laughs> yeah. De- uh, yeah, decreasing distractions. Uh, we've all got phones. Phones are beautifully engineered to distract us. Um, there's billions of dollars poured into um, engineering these devices to um, uh, take us uh, away from the tasks that we ought to be doing. So what can we do? In order to decrease these distractions, we've got to actually control the use of our devices and control our environment. So let's, let's give the example of someone trying to do their homework. Classic example is sit down to do the, the, the homework in your bedroom with your laptop and your phone. You get five minutes into a homework task and you reach a hard question and all of a sudden you go, oh man, this is, this is too hard. I'm just, gonna, uh, I'm just going to watch Netflix. I'm just going to uh, pop on YouTube and all of a sudden you've gone down a big, a big spiral, a big um, infinity pool of content that, yeah. uh, and all of a sudden an hour's gone by and you go, oh, what happened? Quickly death scroll TikTok for Doom death scroll, scroll. Doom two scroll minutes TikTok. and then it ends up being two hours. Yep, yeah, for sure. And so here's some things you can do because we all struggle with this. You've got to create um, ways for you to be more likely to win this battle. Mm-hmm. So what I tend to do when I've got some folk, some work that I need to do is set a timer on my phone for one hour. Now, for you listening at home, you might uh, want to start with 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 40 minutes completely up to you like it took me some time to build up to an hour because an hour is actually quite hard yeah um and then i would deliberately structure my environment so that i'll be less likely to be distracted so turn the phone onto airplane mode go and do your work in the living room go and do your work in like for me this is what i do mm. um i tend to do my best work at in the first four or five hours of the day from about seven through to about 11 or 12 and so I might take my work and go and work in a library or a cafe. So I'm much less likely to get caught up doing social media scrolling if I'm out in public yep. because uh, it's, it feels a bit more socially awkward to sit there watching, watching videos when you're out in public. So uh, change your environment. Sometimes bedrooms can be helpful because they're quiet, but also it's really easy to shut the door and to unashamedly uh, get involved in the social media um, consumption that goes uh, for way too long. Yeah, so I've actually brought I brought this up on a podcast recently, uh, previously, but I've got a, a thing called a K safe. Great, basically a locked box that you put your phone in. You turn the, you you decide on a time from five minutes to twenty uh, to twenty four hours. It locks and you cannot un, you cannot override it. So I use Great. that quite a bit, and I'll, especially with my kids, I'll put it in there or an hour. I just need an hour or two hours just without the phone. And I, and you, I mean, you can take the batteries out. You just cannot override it whatsoever. Now we're quoting Sorry. ourselves on our own podcast. Sorry, we're, we're requoting our <laughs> yes, own podcast. Yes, exactly ourselves. right. Good. Yeah, I had yeah. a really good podcast once. This yeah. guy had. Uh, <laughs> couldn't even get into it. It was great. <laughs> it was so <laughs> handsome. Um, uh, sorry, but it's a great about apps and and putting yourself in a bit in public as well is actually a really smart idea mm. because you're right. Nothing happens. Nothing good happens when the doors are closed. Making sure that you are, you know, that you are making that you're around people. Yeah. Mm. We, uh, we're often much better in short bursts rather than in long bouts. So I often say an inch is a cinch, a yard is hard. 
Uh, I'm sorry, we need to stop you there. Copyright Lisa McPhee. Am I a clinical psychologist? How good. Psychologist sure. I love that phrase. I love. I don't know where I picked it up from. You you when quoted your, your dad in saying it, didn't you? Con didn't Keros, you throw yes, that one back I to did. Con Keros? Shout out to oh, how good. Yeah. Yeah, Connie can have it. Fantastic. That's gold. Um, but it's true. Like we, yeah. uh, If you say to yourself, look, I'm going to sit down and study for 10 hours today. That, that's extremely unlikely to be successful. You're much better to be working in short, consistent bursts with breaks intermittently spaced in between that. And the same goes for your homework if you're at school. So if you've got an hour and a half between when school finishes and when dinner starts and you might you, uh, the rest of your evening might be given over to doing extracurricular things or like you might practice musical instrument or you might be doing this, that or the other. Break it down into 20-minute chunks. Give yourself a five-minute break in between interleaf your study so do one subject then do another subject then do another subject because that will help that will increase your memory retention um so decrease distraction that's a whole topic of conversation in and of Mm. itself uh two is get organized now in my in my clinical practice i i spend a lot of time helping people to get organized um it sounds very basic but it's incredibly incredibly important so um I often say to my clients, um, do you maintain a diary? And they often might say, no, I don't maintain a diary. To which I say, look, our brains are fantastic at having ideas, but they're terrible at holding them. Mm. Um, uh, like I've, I've brought my phone and my notepad here today and uh, between basically those two things, I, I, write, I, I write down every single commitment and deadline that I've got because my brain's great at having ideas, but it's terrible at holding them. Um, I use that in concert with a wall planner so that I can uh, put all my due dates for all the things that I've got going on in life there so I've got a visual reminder of it every single day. Right. There's, a, there's so many things you can do to get mm. organised, but uh, at the very least, get started with a wall planner, a diary, a written to-do list, if at all possible. Yeah, that's a, that's a life skill that will be uh, very important for all of us. I think a getting organised episode is actually a pretty that'd be very helpful. I love good idea. Or, I love it. it, it Were you talking about it? I was like, that make I love being organised. I've began the process of beginning a diary. Jason's got about twenty diaries. Three, about three times a year. <laughs> Two thousand and fifteen <laughs> one you've got. Just like and this can be a personality thing. Yeah, in that I agree. Some people are beautifully, beautifully built to be organised, and sometimes we know these people in our lives. They're just like, oh, that person gets stuff done. Yeah, that person is fantastic getting things done, and. I, f- I feel like I'm slightly more inclined in that direction. Um, but some people uh, have a much more fluid approach to life where they'll go, oh, I'm actually much more spontaneous um, and we need those people. Mm. Um, uh, I get stuff... It must make for a great marriage started. having one organised I get stuff and started. spontaneous. I don't know if I get stuff done, but I get it started. That's still kind You're of... a visionary, babe. Yeah, oh, totally. you better believe it. Love it. Oh, you think about it and I get it done. It's a, it's yeah. a great balance. Uh, I've got a couple more about how to increase focus. Break down tasks into smaller chunks. Yep. So, so, so very important. You know, um, Perhaps you could use inch by inch as a cinch again. Yeah, that, that, it works, doesn't it? Um, I, so I procrastinate. We all procrastinate. Yeah. The way to, one of the most evidence-based ways to overcome procrastination is to, instead of putting on your to-do list, write essay, which is a big, scary, you know, 500 to several thousand word to-do list item, mm. which is big and scary, which we can shy away from, write down write first sentence of essay. Yeah. 
make the bar as low as you can possibly get it to be. Yeah. Because getting started is the hardest bit. Yeah, that's uh, that's, actually, that's a really good point. Because I even that your life motto is just set the bar as low. Yeah, low <laughs> as you can. micro habits. Are we talk about micro habits here. Maybe that's that's a oh, yeah. oh, like someone's read a book. Um, <laughs> but honestly, like yeah, doing things like you know I've got to organise this event for next year, and it's quite a quite a significant task. And it's but now and so I often am writing on things to do. All right, organise this thing. It's like no, actually, what I need to organise is uh, email. Participants or something like that. You know what I mean? Like just okay, one step at a time. All right, cool, sweet, tick, and 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 it helps me. It feels like I've accomplished something for that day. Um, I can go home and you know I've could have put in fifteen minutes of work. It's great. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't know. Scrap that bit, but uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, like those the make making sure it's really and even when I was doing assignments and stuff like that. All right, introduction today. Happy days, and then like all right, you know, cool. I actually feel like I can maybe do one more, and I can keep going a little bit. Yeah. But I've actually achieved that and ticked that box. Yeah. If you if you train yourself through practice to learn how much you can reasonably write or how many maths questions you can reasonably tick off in a certain achievable period of time, like let's say forty minutes, you can feasibly figure out how long it's going to take you to do a task. Yep. Like often people who experience ADHD are really really poor at managing time or estimating time. Sure. And so, for me, through years of practice, I've learned that I can basically write about 100 to 200 words in an hour and that that's from years and years of practice because I know that it takes time to conceive what I want to say to write down the things I want to say but also then to refine what I've written so then I, if I say oh I've got a thousand word task to do that's 10 hours of work that's awesome great that um all right we're just going to motor on a little bit because we're, I'm a bit conscious of time so decrease the distractions get organized um, microtasking. I'm going, to, I'm going to label that one if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. What's next? Include breaks. Uh, we've Great. sort of touched on this a little bit. Google search Pomodoro. It, some people like it, some people don't like it, and you can adapt it to your means. And the general idea is that you work for a particular period of time and take a break, work for a particular period of time and take a break, because uh, the further time passes, the less efficient we are. So if you have a three-hour period and you try and work for three hours, your productivity will dip towards as you go through that period Mm. of time. But if you give yourself breaks, your um, efficacy is going to return to uh, optimal quite well. So that's good. And then fifthly, really important if you're a school kid, practice problem solving. So as you go through school, you're going to find things challenging. You're going to find things hard. And you need to start practicing asking for help, particularly from teachers, from your people who are sitting around you in class to say, look, I'm finding it difficult to either focus or to do this task, help me, help me, ask for help, sit at the front of the class, not at the back of the class, deliberately do that, give yourself every opportunity to succeed, give the the work that you've done so far to your teacher and say, I need help, give it to your parent when you're at home, can you check this for me, we've got, if more people did that, we would do, uh, we would do better academically Mm. and uh, so many students are afraid to do that, Yeah. so ask for help. I mean, the practicing problem solving is like once again, this whole thing just works with each other because we we develop that pro- those problem solving skills when we are in those boredom stages and those flow stages. So yeah, like so becoming bored, doing those things that you, that get you into your what was it again? I've forgotten. Default mode network mm. isn't really important to developing that skill. Um, those those five points are really great, and and not only are they good for ourselves, but they're also good for when we are working with you know to help 
so for teachers or for um, for a parent, but for say for a teacher to de- decrease the distractions for a young person, and we mm-hmm. talk about you know in a kind way, you know, moving a young person from the kid who might be more distracting for them, or mm-hmm. to help them actually develop those skills to become organised. You know, mm-hmm. so so many young people actually just don't know what to do, how to be organised, what what practical things they can put in place, mm-hmm. um, putting putting small breaks into their work and getting a kid to walk around or something like that and breaking up their lessons so it's not so um, large and whatnot. And all these all these things are really uh, are things that we can do to help other people as well, I think. So so those those five tips are, are super helpful. Fantastic. Yeah. So with someone, because I was just going back to uh, our conversation with someone who's, okay, we're all, we all are distractible um, and then there's some who have ADHD diagnosed. Are they going to find this really hard? Would this be a good probably space of like, all right, we've, We've done now. We've tried even these things, and they're still bouncing off the wall, struggling. Can't do it. Would this be a good time to sort of okay sound the alarm? Because we've done everything practical that would make sense for all of us who struggle with it. I would say if let's say you're a teacher, you've got a certain number of uh, kids in your classroom. If um, you have concerns about whether one of your students um, has ADHD, you're welcome to. Uh, you might want to consider raising that with your team just to make sure that that's uh, something that you agree with as a as a as a staff team. Um, often, uh, getting input from your other staff members will be helpful in just confirming whether you've got whether your suspicion is accurate. And then you might want to have a conversation with the parents just to get everyone on board on going down a diagnostic process, which means referral to the GP and going down that pathway that I described before. There are so many things that can be done to assist kids in the classroom. Um, I'm I'm not a teacher and I don't want to tell teachers how to do their job because teachers have an incredibly difficult job. I might suggest if I I were running a classroom to try and optimise focus, I might do some things like including periods of time where phones are away I might even do things like organising a seating chart so that I can deliberately put students who I know I want to help focus the most to put them at the front or put them next to students who are magnificent at focusing. I'd also uh, be feeding back with a student about some of the five ways that we've been talking about just to build those skills because teachers don't have to do the diagnostic process. They just have to continue to uh, work for the best interests of their kids that they've got. How to tell the difference between whether it's a character issue of each child or a pathological issue, you don't have to answer that question totally. All you have to do is identify issues. Um, uh, great teachers are fantastic at this. They might be able to go, oh, I've got a bit of a sneaking suspicion that I've got a child who uh, might have ADHD and uh, if you're able to help a child to start going down that process, then that's fantastic. Yep. That's amazing. That's great. Ferg, uh, 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 some Absolute um, gems in there. Um, you know, I, I would suggest listening to this at you know one point four speed, just because yeah. ADHD <laughs> people are going to struggle to to go through that. But um, some really like good practical tips as well. So you know, making sure that we are assessing, uh, getting the right assessment, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely, understanding the medication is not yeah, it's not a naughty word and it's not a bad thing. We'll put those links. To, I'll put that link to the YouTube. We'll put those book names as well that we've got in there. Um, Ferg, I want to thank you so much for yeah. coming Thanks and for sharing you once again your wisdom and your intellect. Um, we will be back soon. Um, we are the Unmasked Podcast. Make sure you Spotify, Apple, Google. I believe Same. we're on Instagram. We're on there as well. Ask us any questions that you'd like. Uh, Jason Lee, thanks again for coming. Always a pleasure. See you soon, guys. We'll see you soon. Take care. Stan Bush. <laughs> <laughs>